Well, good morning. <clears throat> it's great to be with you. I always enjoy being back in this church. Uh, you, I'm, and I love your pastor. You are blessed to have him. So, it's, yeah, amen. That's good. It's good to hear, right, Joe? <laughs> that reaffirmation there. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 21 in our time together this morning. When I say prayer to you, the term, what comes to your mind? Um, sometimes, does it elicit a yawn from you? Like, oh, do we have to pray again? Sometimes it does. I, I hate to say that sometimes in my own life. There's times when people say, we're getting together for a prayer meeting, and sometimes my response isn't always what it should be. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Sometimes we're not always sure exactly how we should be praying. And the beauty of the scripture really helps with that. I, I, perhaps you can resonate here a little bit with Linus. So he's getting ready for bed and he says to Lucy, I, I think I've made a new the theological discovery. Well, what, what is it? If you hold your hands upside down, you get the opposite of what you actually pray for. Now, I have never tried that. Um, and I, I'm not recommending it to anybody in here today. So how can we pray in a way that is robust and meaningful and we see God work in marvelous ways because of it? And, and I was thinking of that and perhaps a study for you to even think about in your own personal life sometime. Just, just work through, well, you can work through a whole bunch of books in the New Testament, but maybe just work through Paul's epistles. And just look at the way Paul prays for people. And I tell you, sometimes people say, well, how can I pray for you? I say, look, go through the books of Paul, and whenever you come to a prayer, put Finkbeiner's name in there. And I will be extremely happy, and so will you. What I love about this prayer is a whole host of things. It's, it really is a prayer that's a wonderful way for us to be praying as a church as we approach a new year also. So I want to work through this prayer with you, but I want to kind of get a running start, if you will, in the book. So a prayer to our Father, God's, uh, how do I have it here? Experiencing God's presence and love more deeply. So before I actually read it, I, I just want to kind of orient you quickly to the book, okay? You're, you're aware, aware of this, I'm sure, but let me just kind of help you with it. Don't, don't you love the book of Ephesians? It is just, it's an incredible book. And one of the ways to kind of think your way through it is in the first three chapters, you have this section where you just have all these statements made about who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ and who we are because of Jesus Christ, right? And what fills those first three chapters is praise and prayer. You know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He works through this section, and as soon as he gets done, he starts praying. You know, like, God, like, help us to open our eyes to see the beauty of what this is, right? And that, that kind of drifts him into to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, he's going to talk again about the fact that we were dead and we're alive and just all kinds of stuff. And that's going to then usher him into another prayer 
in chapter 3. So all the way through chapters 1 and 3, 1 through 3, you have this major emphasis on praise and prayer. There's, there's actually only one command or one imperative in that, in that entire section. It's the word remember. But then you come to chapters 4 to 6. And man, there are commands everywhere. And he emphasizes how we should then walk. Do you see how beautiful that is? The indicatives of who we are in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Hearts that praise him and lives that go out and walk in accordance with that. And there's two beautiful prayers in Ephesians 1 to 3. And I just want, I want to focus in on the one in chapter 3 in particular. Let me just mention one other thing. And the reason to me chapter 2 is so important is it's, it's the momentum of chapter 2 that leads us to the prayer of chapter 3. Does that, does that make sense? And what you find as you read through there is God is going to tell you what he has not only done for us individually, but what he has done for us corporately as a group. And he's going to start by saying God's gracious work within us individually, we were hopelessly, we were completely hopeless you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then you have this beautiful statement in verse 4, but God. But God is the one who has stepped in and he saved us and now you and I are in Christ. And then in, in chapter 2, 11 to 22, he can't get away from this stuff. So he says, now let me tell you what he's done, not only within you, but what he's done among us. And there he unpacks the beauty of, again, that, that we as, as Gentiles were, were distant from God. And again, in verse 14, but now in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near. And he talks in that chapter about this wall of division. And that could just be kind of a, what we call a dead metaphor, or he could be referring specifically to a, to a kind of a wall that they had established in the temple in the first century. Whereas if you were a Gentile and you passed beyond that, you were in a heap of trouble. What it, it basically says, whatever you do. And, and um, a couple of years ago, see if I have it up here. Here it is, all right. I was on a trip overseas with Lancaster Bible College, my wife and I, and we went to Istanbul. And... Um, I have always wanted, I said, if I ever get to Istanbul, I am going to, I'm going to the main museum there because I know they've got a block from Jerusalem, this very block that you hear about in the book of Acts and by Josephus. And, and there it was. So my wife took this picture, okay, as you can imagine. And, 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 and again, anyone passing through this towards the second court found in an enclosed within a balustrade four and a half feet high. Um, anyway, you, you, you have this, you have this interesting statement from Josephus who basically says, if anybody goes past this, they're in a heap of trouble. So here's the point. Here's another way of looking at it. In the first century, you would have thought of Jews and Gentiles separated. And if you want to have access to God, you're limited more and more in the temple. But when you move from Jew to Gentile, the Gentiles are way out there. And Paul wants us to know, in Jesus Christ, we of all 
been brought near if you know him. Isn't that amazing? I don't care what your race is. I don't care how you've grown up. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. None of it matters if you're in Christ. You've been brought near. And so Paul comes out of chapter 2 saying, it is a wonder what God has done in me. It is a wonder what God has done among us. Do you see? Look at how chapter 3 verse 1 begins. For this reason, I, Paul. Do you see that? Go down to verse 14. Notice what he says there. For this reason, I. And here's what I love about Paul. Have you ever found uh, these, what we call uh, theological rabbit trails? They're all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I get it. I get it. But coming out of chapter 2, Paul's ready to pray. And so he says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And he stops. He's ready to give the prayer that we're waiting for. And he goes, man, man I, better, man, I better explain that to them. Because they're going to be thinking like it's a bummer that I'm a prisoner. And he goes on in, in verses 1 down to verse 13 and basically says, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's, it's completely okay. Because I actually get to give the gospel to people. And if they stick me in jail, so be it. But man, I get to do this. Do you see? And then kind of gets his composure. And in verse 14, he's ready to pray. And the prayer has the momentum of the wonders of God's grace that we see all the way through chapter 2. So what does he actually pray? And can I say this? If Grace Baptist Church here in Millersville would commit to pray this way, both individually and corporately. Don't be surprised what God might do. So let's look, look at it, just unpack it. There's both an individual aspect and a corporate aspect to this prayer. Let's read it. And I know it's taken me a while to get to the text, but relax, it's a short text, so we... But it's pretty dense, too. So let, let, let's just see what happens. So coming out of chapter 2, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and, and on earth derives its name. I was thinking, and, and I know it's a little bit cliche-ish, I suppose. But when you think about God as our Father, I hope we never get over that. He is God. He is the father of all the saints and those that have trusted in him in heaven and all everybody on earth. And this is a prayer to the father what, what, who, who is not against us, who is for us in the person of Jesus Christ. So when I come to God, I don't come to somebody who I have to cajole and manipulate. and beg. He's not some judge. He's my father. And Paul says, though, he's my reverent father, so I kneel before him. I kneel before this incredible father. I get to call him father. I don't know. I hope I never get over that. I was at a 
funeral yesterday of a good friend, high school friend. And um, his boys got up and both gave him a tribute. And they both were completely overwhelmed with the situation because he died suddenly. But they were also so thankful that they could say, he was my father. They talked about all the things he had done in their lives. I know if we went around this auditorium, you may not, you may have a great father, you may not, I don't know. But I know this, if you know Jesus Christ, you have the best father of all in heaven. And he's for you. He's always for you. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean he gives you what you want. We don't do that with our kids either. But he's always for you. Paul says, I bow before this father. And this is what I pray. I pray that out of his glorious riches, and I've often thought about that one. Um, if I tell you um, I'm going to bless you financially out of my glorious riches, Doug Finkbeiner's glorious riches, um, there, there's, there's significant limitation to that. <laughs> Isn't there? Is there to God's? I mean, I mean, this, out of, out of the God who can do anything, we pray. And, and what's beautiful about this prayer, as he speaks, it's that, it's that interesting balance in the Christian life. You know, we often say, well, does God do it? Do we do it? What's the, what's the relationship between two? And this passage brings all that stuff together. At the end of the day, it is the work of God through us, isn't it? And he calls us to respond to him in faith to do what only he can do. So look at what he says. I love it. I, so I pray out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Wow, that, that's, that's a lot. And so the way I've kind of framed it there, God's individual work within us, spirit-empowered submission to Christ. I was thinking about this again this week. When the Bible talks about the spirit of God empowering us, sometimes I guess the way I view that, I viewed that in the past is, okay, I can't do it, the spirit empowers me, and it becomes a reality. And that's true, it's absolutely true. But if you start praying, God, I pray that your spirit will empower me from the inside out so that Jesus will be at home in my heart. That means you're saying, God, I open you up to the convicting work of the spirit in my life. Reveal who I am. That's hard, isn't it? I kind of like to do this incrementally and slowly sometimes. And Paul says... God alone does this. He does it through his spirit who empowers us. But that empowering includes his convicting work, his revealing of who I am. Think about it like this. Surgery, this is the kind of surgery which hurts good. Isn't that what conviction does? God's spirit starts working in your heart and reveals these issues and brings them to the surface and you go like, ow, ow. Yikes, that's me. 
in my relationship with my wife or with my children or at work or in my thought world or whatever the case may be. And it's hard to face that sometimes, folks. But this prayer is saying, that's a good thing. You come before a father who is for you, who can do anything, who wants to empower you through the spirit to both reveal who you are more and more and then enable you to begin to live in the way he's called you to live. Do you see? And he says that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. That idea of dwelling in your hearts by faith. A guy wrote a book years ago, Robert Munger. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. And he wrote a book, and it was, I think it was entitled, My Heart, Christ's Home. It's a really interesting book. You know, and in it, he talks about the fact you go in, and so one of the rooms is the rooms of appetite, and another room is the room of leisure, and then there's closets and so forth. And part of what he says in the book is, he says, you know, we all have these areas in our life where, where we say, you know, I'm not sure if I really want Christ to be Lord of that area. Like, I just want to hold on to that part. You know, that closet is mine. Jesus, I want you to rule here and here and here and here and here. And what Munger was getting at, for Christ to be Lord means we open our entire homes to him. Everything. You know what this is like when you move to a new home. And you get there and you say, you know, I don't like the color of the wallpaper. I don't like the wallpaper. I don't even like the idea of wallpaper. I'm going to paint this thing. And some of the homes we've been at, you know, I... We've taken the wallpaper off and redone it, and so on. And sometimes I've made it even worse by doing that, but that's a whole other thing. We don't get into all that. But you know, you, you do work on that house, don't you? So that over a period of years, you look and you say, that this is our place. We, we feel really at home here. And that's the very work that God wants to do in your hearts. So that Christ is at home in my heart. You know, when I think about the heart, a bunch of things bubble up, and I think I probably have said this to you before. But as you read through Ephesians, one of the things you find that the kind of stuff that goes on in our heart often ties into issues of what we want and what we believe. And, and the area of Wanting things that we shouldn't want or wanting good things too much is often called lust. And when we believe the wrong things, the Bible will use the term lies. And it's interesting, in the very next chapter, Paul is going to talk about, I think in verse 23 or something like that, in chapter 4, Paul's going to talk about the fact that in our hearts, we have to be very, very careful about both being deceived in our hearts and wanting the wrong thing because they work hand in hand together. And for Christ to be at home in my heart means I have to be wide open for Christ to expose those areas where he's not Lord. And I don't know what that might be for you. Maybe that's in your relationship with your mate. Maybe you seem to do pretty good with your kids and here at church and at work, and people think you're a nice guy. But maybe with your wife, 
you really aren't responding the way you should. You aren't loving her the way Christ has loved the church. She knows it, and you know it, but you just don't want to admit it. Are you willing to let Christ be at home there? Maybe it's in relationship to your church. Maybe there's somebody in here that bugs you to the dickens. I don't know. You can't stand the person. And you know in your heart that God wants you to go and reconcile with that, or at least try to. But you're not going to do it. Because it's just too hard. This text says God has all the resources to change you. God has all the resources to watch your back as you obey. Will you let him, through his spirit, both expose who you are so that Christ can be at Lord and at home in your hearts in that area where you're saying, I don't want to go there. Will you let him do that? Brothers and sisters, that's not easy. I don't stand up here before you saying, man, I have mastered this one. I stand before you saying, there's, there's things I'm going like, oh, Lord, do I have to deal with that one? I know I need to, but Lord, do I have to? Don't we all feel that way? And this text says, will you let the God who is for you in Jesus Christ work through his spirit, and when he identifies those areas, will you say, I want you to be Lord there too. Do your good work. And I don't know what, what relationship that is or responsibility or thing in your life, but folks, we all have areas in our life that we'd like to closet off for ourselves. And this text says, open it all up. Why, Finkbeiner? Because you just came out of chapter two where you found out that God is completely for us in Jesus Christ. Will you open up your hearts and learn the joy and the wonder and the beauty of repentance? Do you see? What if we prayed that way as a church? For, for one another. For ourselves. And slowly, incrementally, we allowed God to do that marvelous work in our lives. That's what this text is talking about. What happens if in a church a whole bunch of people begin living like that? They take whatever the issue is and they put it out there before God and they say, God, your spirit has done a work in this area. What I'm believing, what I'm wanting, and how I'm treating my wife, just a whole host of things. What, what happens if more and more we give those things to God. We, we learn the freedom and the joy of repentance. We find God faithfully begin to change us in our relationship with that individual. What happens not only within us then, but what happens among us? Look what the text goes on to say. Because you're going to find out it's not only a work within us, but it's also God's work among us in verse 17, uh, B and following. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, let me just get back down to it. In being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through three. Here it is at the end of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, like what else would you call it, that God would become a man and die for us on the cross of Calvary, right? I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Now, folks, listen to this section. I love it. I love it. Because it all, at one level, it almost doesn't make sense, but it does when you think about it. I pray that, that, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people, that's us, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. Now, does that make any sense to you at one level? Paul says, I want you to know what is incomprehensible. I'm sorry, I want you to comprehend what is incomprehensible. And I want you to know what's beyond knowledge. Then why are you asking me to do this? <laughs> because only God can do that in our lives, folks, isn't it? And, 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 and what does it mean for you and I who have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, who are learning the joy and the wonder of Christ being Lord of everything in my life, to come together as God's people and say, hey, Joel, um, let me tell you how much Christ loves us. I, and I don't even know. I mean, I'm trying to figure out the height and the depth and the width and the breadth. I, I can't even, whatever. But I'm trying to work that area a little bit. And you're not going to believe it, but this is what God has done for me. And I was thinking again about the cross, and I may say something to Joel, and where Joel will be thinking like, I've known that one for years. But for me, it's a major new kind of thought. And Joel looks back at me and says, Doug, that's wonderful. And then he shares something that God's doing in my life. And we start, do you see? After church, it's not bad to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, maybe it is actually. But no, no, no I, I, you know, if you're an Eagles fan or whatever. whatever. I mean, it's, Lancaster, are you guys more Eagles or? More Eagles, right? Okay, okay, whatever, whatever. It's not bad to talk about those things and so forth. But what if our conversation was more about, I got to tell you how much, I'm just trying to figure out this love of God thing. And, and it's the reason why as a church we come together and we sing songs together, isn't it? Incidentally, I, I, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate your choice of songs. Um, it, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That is a nice rendition. I, it's a really good one. I really like that one. But I know the kinds of songs you're singing together as a congregation are all about trying to push a little bit farther into the wonder of how much we're loved by God. And here's what's really important. You got to always start with the majesty and the greatness of God, don't you? Because otherwise his love just seems kind of whatever. He's a grandpop up there that just, what else does grand, do grandpops do? Oh no. This is the God who does not need Doug Finkbein. God does not need us, does he? But God loves us. Sent his son. The, the whole gospel story, I don't know. 
I hope I never get over it, folks. Matter of fact, I hope I'm always trying to push to go deeper into it. You know that wonderful verse in chapter 2 where he says, for all eternity, God is going to be unpacking for you and I just how gracious he is in Jesus Christ. We don't know the depths of it. We're, We're just trying to push the limits. We're trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. We're trying to know the unknown by going a little bit deeper and a little bit farther. And Paul says for people who God is doing a work in their hearts, when they come together, what I want them to do is talk about this great God who is beyond us, who has loved us in Jesus Christ, and try to explore the depths of that together, whether we're singing, talking informally, getting involved in small groups, whatever it is, folks. It's all about God talk. Was it John Newton that said toward the end of his life that there's two truths he could never get over? That he was a great sinner and that he had a great Savior. I hope we never get over that. I, never ho- I hope we never get over this, the chasm between God and us. He has saved us. He has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. We get to be his followers. And sometimes like, oh man, I gotta follow Jesus. We get to. We get to submit to him as Lord. Him. The God who is for us. And Paul says, what I pray, I pray that you will let God do his work in your heart so that Christ is Lord and is at home in your life. And then I pray that you come together as a body, informally, formally, every way imaginable. Call people up on the phone. I got to share something with you that God showed me this week in the Bible. Share it, folks so that you come together and you spend the rest of your lives together trying to plumb the depths of the love of God for us. Do you see? And then what happens? Notice how the text ends. Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The image that's used in chapter 2 for the people of God is that we are like a temple, a holy temple. And he's already said in chapter 1 that there is an actual positional reality that we are this temple of God that God is at work in. You think about the Old Testament where the glory of God has had left the temple, right? And he talks here about the fact that you are a temple, And God wants to show forth his glory and his wonder through us as his people. So the people should be able to come into Grace Baptist Church. And they should just get a little glimpse of who God is by the way we live. Now, folks, you hear all that. And you go like, think by 
that's way over the top. Like, how could, how could that even be possible? And I want, you sh- I want to remind you of the end of what Paul says here. Paul says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me just show you this. Maybe you've seen this before, but I find it to be helpful. After saying all that, you think like, oh, that's a lot of work he's got to do in my own life. That's a lot of work he's got to do in our lives. Like for God to show forth his glory through up, like how? What if the text said this? Now unto him who is able to do what we ask. Could you take that one to the bank? I could. Cool. Like, whatever I ask that's in accordance with his will, that he wants to work. Okay. That'd be, but is that what he says here? It's not what he says. What if he said, now unto him who's able to do what we ask or think. Like, I don't even have to say it. It's like, just up here. God can do that too. That's not what he says. Now unto him who's able to do all that we ask or think. It's not what he says. He says, now unto him who's able to do far beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you. Can God do this in your life this year as a Christian? Yes. Is it incremental and slow? Yes, I get it. Messy, sloppy. Yep, all true, all true, all true. But God can do a deep-seated work in your life that you can have things exposed and you can learn the wonder and the beauty of becoming more like Jesus in ways that you never had before. And God can allow that to flow over into how we treat one another so that he is seen through us. So here's my prayer. It's a long prayer, but I'm going to read it and then I'm going to pray it for us. Based upon his gracious work in Christ's church, may God the Father grant us by his transformative work of the Spirit to have hearts that submit to the Lordship of Christ so that we become a community that explores together the wonderful love of Christ and thus lives out the glorious design of God by his might and for his glory. Can I pray that for us right now? And and, and end our time? And, And folks, go back and read the prayers of Paul and pray them for yourselves and pray them for us. Let us pray. Father, would you do a work through your spirit and overwhelm us afresh with the wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Christ would become one of us. He would live among us. He would love us. He would show us himself. 
He would suffer in a way that none of us can possibly ever even imagine. Because he loves us. He came out of that grave to show the power he has over death and hell itself. Father, may we know, based on what you have done for us, may we open up our hearts afresh and allow you through your spirit to both expose and empower us in any area that you choose. It will hurt. It will take work. But Lord, it will always be worth it. And then, Father, may we as a community of faith strategize and wonder and talk afresh about the wonders of who you are and how much you've loved us in Christ. Lord, we're just getting started because we're going to do it for all eternity. But help us to get started now as a community of faith. And then, Father, what a wonder for a lost and dying world around us to begin to see God and who he is by the way that we live. Father, if you will do that work at Grace, at Lancaster Bible College, at each one of our churches, oh, Lord, we would rejoice at the end of the day for we know we'll bring glory to your name. We pray all of this because of Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior. Amen.